For those of you that don't know me, I'm Bob Claxton. I'm uh, actually a transition pastor as well as transition coach. Uh, my transition of church in Vermilion, I'm going through Parkview, and we're going through this process as well. And the district asked me to come and be a part of this process as a coach, which means I do very little speaking, but when I do get an opportunity, I'm so grateful for it. And uh, I'm just, I counted a privilege to be here. I've been contracted since uh, September when I was contacted by Rick and, uh, and the board. And so I typically will spend a, a couple of days here every month, but because we were having our town hall yesterday, I changed um, my schedule up so that I could be here. This is my weekend off from Vermilion, so um, I'm able to be here with you this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about what we did yesterday. Why did we spend so much time looking at our past? Well, there, it's significant, and you'll understand this a little bit as we get into our message today, but we needed to be able to look back and celebrate it. So if you look at the board, you'll see little red dots along the timeline. And what that represents is where people started the ministry of the church, uh, because that's one of the first things they did. We asked, I asked them to come and put their dot on the timeline. So you'll see dots all the way through the timeline. And at the very beginning, that one's Bob Peters when he was a very little boy. And uh, uh, that's just so you know what, and then the rest of them is the rest of the people. We had about 155 people here, I think, yesterday. And uh, I was just so thrilled that you came and were willing to participate and allow me to lead you through the process. You will also see some green post-it notes and you'll see some celebrations, some high points, some, some thrilling experiences that individuals had with the ministry of Grand Prairie Alliance Church. And we spent some time just reflecting on the goodness of God, and we celebrated what he was doing for us. And then we also took some red post-it notes, and we talked about some of the hurts, some of the disappointments, some of the discouraging times, some of the times where, where, where maybe we just felt let down and were wounded. And we walked through that, and then I, I led people through a, a, a prayer of forgiveness and asking God to take these wounds from us, and then they came and put those wounds on the board as an act of forgiving. And then we took and we sealed it with saran wrap, and I have to tell you how that happened. Everybody yesterday thought that was planned. It was, but about three churches ago when I was doing this, remember yesterday they were, the stickers were falling off? Remember, they're just... They're just stickers that don't stick. And so what I did was I asked a farmer, I said, have you, got, have you got saran? Like, have you got a wrap? And he said, sure. He went out to his truck and we wrapped it so we wouldn't lose all of them. And then I thought, oh, what a beautiful picture of what we just did. And so now I make it a habit that when we're done, we seal it purposely to symbolize that we have sealed our past and we're not looking back anymore. And uh, it also stops people from looking under to see what those red ones were. Not that anybody in Grand Prairie would ever do that. It's just for other churches that I, uh, that I serve in. Are you okay this morning? You all right? Yes, all right, good. They learned that yesterday. If I ask you a question, just say, yes, Bob. And I'm dyslexic, so it works both ways, just so you know. Today, we want to look at um, one of the one another's. And before I go... How many of you did this? Don't put up your hand. Those of you that did the survey that went out in November to do those 32 questions, and by the end, I could see the tone that was in some of the answers that you would spend a great deal of time on this. Like, what more do you want? 
Uh, I spent, uh, you know, God provided a minus 42 Christmas, uh, and so I was able to stay inside, and while you were enjoying your fireplace, I was enjoying my warm blanket, and I was going through all of the assessment results. And I presented to the elders two weeks ago on Thursday night the results of the survey. I came in on a Thursday morning in the afternoon. I shared them with the staff. On Thursday night, we had a transition team meeting, and I shared them with the transition team. And yesterday afternoon when we were done our session, I went into the office and I videotaped a report for you as members of the congregation and adherents. So today at 2 o'clock, an email is going out with the link. It's not going to be up forever. It's only going to be up for about 10 days. If you want to see the results of what you were a part of, please take some time and, uh, and do that. Will you do that for me? There we go. You guys are obedient already. That's good. I'm glad to be here today. I, I, you know, I, I said in the first service, I feel like I'm a part of the church family because I work with the elders and I work with the staff and I've, I've met many of the key leaders here and I just feel like I'm part of the team. So if I say it's our church, it's just because I feel like I'm part of the church. I hope that's okay with you. We want to continue on in our series of the Love One Another's. And April, or pardon me, or Sunday, June, the, or pardon me, let's start all over again. You can tell I've been doing a lot of talking this weekend. On Sunday, March the 15th of 2020, our whole world shut down due to the virus that you and I have been having to deal with since then. We did not know what was going on. We just knew that we had to butt, batten down the hatches and, and, and hang in there to see what was going to happen. On the Wednesday of, the ne- of that week, the 18th of March, I was sitting in my thinking and prayer, and prayer chair in my office at 6 a.m., having my cup of coffee, spending my time with God, and my phone went off, which is very unusual at 6 o'clock in the morning. And when I looked down at it, it had the name of my hospital that actually I was born in back in Ontario, where my mom and my sister and their families live, my, my sister's family. And after going through a series of questions to verify my name... I asked the lady at the other end, I said, what's the purpose of your call? And she said to me, how quickly can you get here? Your mom is in palliative care. Now, I've been a pastor for almost 40 years. I know what palliative care could mean hours, it could mean days, it could mean months. And I, and I said to her, I said, well, I live in Alberta, so there's not a chance that I can get on a plane and go and be there right away. I said, have you contacted my sister? She lives five minutes away, and actually she works at the hospital. And she said to me, she said, well, she's not answering the phone. And I said, that was kind of strange, so I would, I would, because we text each other every morning. So I said, I will try her. And, and so I called my sister, and I said, hey, Carol, I said, the hospital's trying to get a hold of you. Where have you been? And she said, well, I was just in the other room. I said, well, they called me to tell me that mom's not good. And she said, I'll go right there. She hung up. And I kept on with my quiet time, and 10 minutes later, she called me back. And she said, Bob, Mom passed away before I even got there. She was heartbroken that she was not there with my mom when she had breathed her last. In fact, she felt guilt-ridden that she didn't hear the phone. And I said, Carol, God knew. But it was so hard for me to console her knowing that we were so far apart. My mom loved the Lord, and she even longed to be with him. And the last conversation I had with her before she passed was she would say, you know, I want to go home. I just want to go home. 
But for my older brother and my younger sister, we were unable to gather together to even grieve together. And we needed each other because we are a very close family. You've all been hearing in recent messages that we are made for each other and life is all about relationships. And we were one of those families that were prohibited to gather together to comfort one another to celebrate her life during our loss. So why do we need to comfort one another? Well, it's simple. Because every one of us has experienced loss. And loss equals grief, which also brings pain. The definition of loss is the state of or feeling of grief when deprived of someone or something of value. And as you read the scriptures, we are given glimpses of all the people who experience loss. Remember Joseph's father when his brothers went back to their dad and said, you know, they, they conspired that he had died, and you knew how Jacob responded. David grieved over the loss of Saul, even though Saul was after him, and he, lo- he grieved over the loss of his best friend, Jonathan. And the list is endless in the scriptures of people who grieved the loss of people who left them. So this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, this is our verse. Therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words. That's where I want to launch off from today. And you might be saying, well, that's a rather interesting verse, knowing the context. Well, let me look at the word comfort first. Parakaleos, to console, to encourage, and to strengthen by consolation or to comfort. You see, the context of this verse is that the saints were asking Paul, what happened when the believers died? You see, because you have to remember that everybody believed that Jesus was going to come back like right away. For them, end times was like next week. Jesus could come back. In fact, Paul believed he was coming back that soon. But you go to verse 16, and it says, and we sang this in that hymn, the trumpet will call, the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are caught alive will be with him, and so we will be with the Lord. And he says to the people, therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words. You see, as believers, we have a hope that unbelievers don't have. We know where we will spend eternity, but how do we deal with the grief of the loss while we're still on earth? I mean, I'm thrilled that my mom is in glory. I'm thrilled that she's with her Savior, but I'm still here, and you're still here. Before I get to this key passage this morning, I want to give you a quick overview of the transition process. It's not only true for those of us that lose loved ones, but it's also true for churches in transition. And and so there are three key actions that everyone must consider when in transition, whether it's the church or whether it's even in your own life. So let's look at the transition journey. Life is going along and suddenly there's a loss in your life. Remember, loss is the state or feeling of grief when deprived of someone or of something of value. It can be a death, it can be a disappointment, it can be a divorce, it can be a departure of a pastor. The first action is to learn from the past. That's what we did yesterday. Yesterday was a key event for us to learn from our past, to give thanks for our past, and to let go of it so that we can move on. The second action is for us to look, to look ahead to see what God has for us, asking questions like, God, what do you have for us now at Grand Prairie Prairie Alliance Church? What does the future hold? And by the way, according to the assessment, 
A majority of you believe that the next 10 years, the next chapter of this church is going to be the best chapter of this church. Or if it's for you, but personally, what will my life look like down the road now that I've experienced this pain? But by looking to the future, we're able to do the most difficult action, and that's to lean in during the in-between. We have to lean into the uncertainty of the transition. You're probably wondering, what's going on? We're not hearing anything. We're not seeing anything. Why aren't we just getting a pastor? You see, there, this is where we need to lean into trusting God, learning into the, leaning into the experience of knowing his peace, to lean into our times of prayer to sustain us during this time of uncertainty. So why not just move forward and find a new pastor and get it over with? I know there are people here that are asking that question because I get asked it all the time. It's a great question. The biggest challenge in any pastoral transition, friends, whether it's a good one or it's a difficult one, is grieving the loss of the person who had a substantial part of your spiritual life. This is why today I chose to speak about comfort one another. Turn with me in your Bible, if you have it with you or on your phone, to the the book of Acts chapter 20. Now, let me give you a little bit of background about Acts chapter 20. Paul has been in Ephesus for two and a half years. We see this recorded in chapter 19. His ministry was significant. The people there were baptized in the Holy Spirit. He performed miracles. The church grew. He inspired a book-burning party. He ticked off a silversmith named Demetrius and took out all of his ability to earn income, who then created a riot, and then he was run out of town. I'm not sure any of us would pick Paul to be our pastor. Everywhere he went, he caused trouble. But he snuck out of Ephesus, and then later he returns to say goodbye to his ministry partners from Ephesus. And let me read this passage for you. Then Paul went down on his knees, and all of them kneeling with him, and prayed. And then a river of tears, much clinging to Paul, not wanting him to go. They knew they would never see him again. He had told them quite plainly, the pain cut deep. Then bravely they walked him down to the ship. And then in chapter 21, verse 1, Paul records these words, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. What a picture of transition. And it gives us insights into the emotion of a relationship with his elders. Paul had only been there two and a half years. Many pastors last much longer than two and a half years. You could see the relationship between him and the elders. There was a river of tears. I underlined that. I underlined the pain cut deep. These emotions are familiar to those who have lost a loved one. We need to comfort each other because every one of us at some point experiences a loss or pain. Now let me see if I'm in the right house this morning. How many of you have a pain story? Put up your hand. In your past, you've got, you've got a pain story. Somebody, uh, can I just do this? I've been in ministry 40 years. I got pain stories. How many of you are sitting next to the pain? I mean, just put your hands down. <laughs> Since all of us has loss, then we need to understand grief. And during this pandemic, each one of us has been grieving about so many things. So let me tell you, 
four observations. If I can share with you four observations about grief. The first one is grief is real because loss is real and it's unavoidable. Talk to anyone who has lost a spouse and they will identify with the words of C.S. Lewis when he lost his wife. He said, her absence is like the sky. It covers everything. No part of his life was untouched. No part of his life didn't have any pain or any misery because of her death. Maybe you feel like, well, he was the only pastor I ever knew and now he's gone. The whole pandemic has exacerbated loss, a loss of freedom, a loss of fellowship, a loss of being with family, a loss of being with friends. In the, in the year 2020, we had to sit at the end of the driveway of our kids in our lawn chairs just so we could see our kids, our grandkids. We couldn't even touch them, much to my wife's chagrin. Here's what I know. When I sit up here, I have no idea of the loss the grief that's behind the masks that are sitting in front of me. You can hide it. You can even deny it, but it's there. I can talk about a number of topics and you won't connect with me. I can talk about anger, but if you have a problem with anger, you go, well, what am I doing here? Or I can talk about stress and you might say, well, I don't have any problem with stress and so that you wouldn't connect. But I know when I talk about pain, I'm right, you're right with me because you have a pain story too regardless of your age. Number two, grief is personal. No one grieves the same way. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book called On the Five Stages of Grief. And if you ever know anything about this, you recognize that she wished she had never written this book because this, she didn't ever want people to use it as a prescription of how people grieve, that you've got to go through one stage, then you go to the next stage, then you go to the next stage, then you go to the next stage, and then you go to the next stage, and then you're done. Everybody grieves differently. Let me tell you a funny story. A husband and wife were out golfing together. On the par four eighth hole, the husband hooked his drive into the woods. Angrily, he prepared to extend a shot by pitching back out into the fairway. Any golfer understands that. Wait, dear, his wife said. See the barn over there between you and the green? If I open up the doors on both sides, you can hit it right through the barn onto the green. She opened the doors, and the husband hit a screaming three-iron which ricocheted off the barn wall and hit his wife right between the eyes, killing her instantly. That's a bad day golfing. A year later, the same fellow was golfing the same golf course with a friend, and on the eighth hole, he hooked his drive again. He was all set to pitch it out into the fairway when his friend stopped him. Wait a minute. The only thing blocking your shot to the green is this barn. If I open up both doors, you can probably shoot right through the barn to the green. And the man said, no way. Not again. I tried that last year, and I got a seven. <laughs> Men think that's funny. Ladies don't, just for the record. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say something funny. That was for me. So was... It is well with my soul, just so you know. <laughs> when my father died when I was 30 years old, I sought the understanding of my loss through my now dear friends, Rosie and Glenn Crichton, and their ministry called Coping. It's very similar to the grief share that you have here. I was forever grateful and am forever grateful for how they taught me of how men and women grieve differently. In fact, 
Rosie said something that actually floored me because their daughter had died. She was 10 years old. She got sick, and three days later, she passed away of leukemia. No one was there to support them, and so out of their pain, they decided to commit their life to help other people who were going through grief. But she made an interesting statement that I'll never forget. She said, eight out of 10 couples who lose a child will end up in divorce. And I said, why? Why did you make that statement? And she said, because the way women and men grieve, if it's so different, and it's so different, and if they don't understand each other, then they start to blame each other, and it becomes a problem. You see, the women, typically, okay, not all women are like this, but typically, there's lots of tears, there's lots of agony with friends, and I mean, it's, it's, it's demonstrative, right? And the husband comes home from work, and he just sees his wife all a mess again on the table, and she, he's looking at her like, can't you get your life together? Like, let's just move on. And he looks at her, she looks at him and says, well, you don't even cry at all. You didn't even care about our child. But what she didn't know was that he was crying in the shower, that he was crying on the way to work. He was crying when he was alone in his office. He grieves alone. Most men do. And most women grieve collectively or socially. If you don't understand, that's how you look at grief. And by the way, children, uh, didn't say this in the first service, so here's a bonus. In the, uh, children, how they react to grief, let me tell you how they react to grief. If you have an outgoing child, then your child is probably going to act out even more. And if you have an introverted child, then they're actually going to go deeper in their introversion. Just be aware of the fact that that's how we operate differently when it comes to grief. Number three, grief takes time. Grief takes time. This is foreign to us because someone who passes away in our family, according to our work, our HR bylaws, you get three days off and then you're expected to be back to work. Friends, if you've ever experienced loss, you know that it's now part of your life forever. I had a conversation with someone after the service in the first, first service. They said someone that they're close to lost someone in every anniversary of that death. They go into a little bit of depression. And I said, that's normal. Because that, that date still comes around. And our minds are so created that they can instantly take us back to that moment of that great trauma. I said, just be gracious and compassionate to her. Friends, if you've ever experienced this, you know that it's always a part of your life. You can be going through your day just fine and you hear a song. I was weeping this morning. I was over on this side in the first service when we were singing it as well with my soul because I could, I could hear my mother singing it took me right back. Or you can inhale a smell and it will bring you to your knees. They're what we call grief bursts. I didn't tell this in the first service either, but uh, my father, when I was growing up, he was a pipe smoker. And so I, whenever I smelled pipe, it was, my mom, it was my father. And so back in Windsor, when I was there for a number of years, when you could still smoke in the mall, I was going about doing my business one day, and when some guy passed me with a pipe. And it hit me, and I dropped to my knees right there in the middle of the floor. 
because all I could think about was my dad. There's no expiration date with grief, as Rick Warren says. Now, the Jewish people knew how to take time to grieve, and so many th- there's so many things about the Jewish heritage that we have divorced ourselves from because we're New Testament believers, but there's some things that they knew how to do that we ought to learn, and if you ever go to Israel, you'll learn these kinds of things. The Shiva is the seven days of mourning that happen right after the death. Then there's the slow shim, which is the 30-day period where they grieve and they have other people come around. They have actually professional mourners that come and help them grieve, help them express it. And then the children, if if their mom or their father have passed away, then they actually walk into the synagogue against the crowd or in the back way. When people are coming out, they're going in, and it's symbolic for a whole year that they're grieving. Grieving takes time. And grieving a pastor, friends, takes time. Number four, how you doing, okay? Okay, grief is a gift. Grief is God's gift enabling you to get through the transitions of life. I just didn't like the package it came in. Life is full of transitions. We're living at home. We're going to school. We're going to university. We're getting married. We're having kids. And then they leave. And we have to leave the past behind us to get to the next stage. That's why yesterday was so important in the life of our church that we went through this transition process. We had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. We had to reflect. And we had to learn from the faithfulness of God. Even when we've not been faithful, God still built his church. Grieving as a way of prying open our clutched hands, allowing us to to be open to what it is that God has for us today and tomorrow. Following my dad's passing, I went on to get trained under one of the leading experts on grief, Dr. Alan Welfold, and he said this, everyone grieves, but not everyone mourns. Grieving is the inner emotion that we feel when there is loss or pain in our life. Mourning is the coming out of that pain from out inside of our body, outside of our body, which allows us to heal. Jesus has something to say about this, and uh, we'll, we'll see about this in just a moment. And we've considered four observations about grief and why comforting one another is such a key function within the body of Christ. But how do we bring comfort to our own loss, and how do we comfort others? Well, it's a good question. Glad you asked. Let's look at your opportunity. I want to give you four things that I want to invite you to be a part of. Number one, you need to express it. Don't spiritualize it. Look at what Jesus, how Jesus responded when he saw Mary and Martha hearing that Lazarus had died. John chapter 11, verse 35 and 36, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. He didn't spiritualize it. He expressed his grief. Tears are a sign of a great love, not of great weakness. And I know some of you men are saying, well, you're, gonna, you're saying that I have to cry, Bob? Well, possibly. But we've been trained, in our, even in our culture, not to cry. Let me, let me, let me prove it to you. You, answer, you fill in the blank. Big boys don't cry. We've been taught that. Grief and pain and loss are the normal experiences in our life, and almost all of us work too hard to avoid it. 
Our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul was talking about the saints who had passed. And just an aside, I've been beside enough widows, widowers, grieving children, grieving parents to have heard some of the, should I say stupid, the most unhelpful statements from people who thought they were doing so well. Don't, don't, don't say she or he is in a better place. That doesn't help. Don't say God must have wanted another angel. That doesn't help either. Here's what you need to say. Write this down on your notes of paper because at some point you're going to go to a funeral or you're going to read on Facebook where somebody has passed or on Twitter or on Instagram. Here's what you need to say. All you need to say is this. I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And if it impacts a whole family, then I'm so sorry for your family's loss. Write that down. Don't come up with Bible verses. Don't come up with spiritual cliches that you think are going to help. They don't. They do more harm than good. The second thing is embrace it. Don't deny it. Denial is not the river that you want to wade in this morning. My mom ran for 12 months after my father passed. She thought if, that she, if she could just stay busy, and she, she wouldn't have time to think about it or even process it. And then she dropped because she was so sick. Look at the story of Paul with the elders. Again, much clinging to Paul, not wanting to let him go. They knew they would never see him again because he had told them quite plainly, that's why we encourage people to experience soul care, folks. The past does affect your present if you don't embrace it. David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You're not alone. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and have him reveal where he wants to bring the healing. You see, the Lord is close to all of us. So we need to embrace it express it. We need to embrace it. Thirdly, we need to experience it. Don't shun it. As you reflect again on the story of Paul and with the elders, they were all in. They expressed it with their tears. They embraced him with their arms. Their pain was so blatant. And one of the clearest examples of this is found in the book of Job. And after disaster strikes his home and his livestock, hearing all of the bad reports, it says in chapter 3, or 17 actually, verse 7, my eyes have grown dim with grief, my whole body is but a shadow. Now go back to the beginning of Job. As he, at, at this, after hearing all the calamity that came, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I've come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Friends, write this down in your notes. Nobody gets out of life without a loss. Nobody. Pain is inevitable and misery is an option. It's what we do with that that matters. We have to grieve. We have to we have to go from grieving to mourning. So what do I mean by that? You have to process it. 
Listen to the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who grieve. What does he say? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Grieving is what happens on the inside. Mourning is the outward expression of the internal pain. It's in the morning that we can receive comfort. There is a healing, a divine comfort, a freedom. When you move from grief from the inside to mourning to the outside. Let me tell you a personal story. I remember like it was yesterday, we had just moved after 10 years of God's blessing in a ministry in Windsor. We grew the church from about 350 to 800. I had a talented staff. They were amazing. But God called me and my family to move from Windsor, Ontario, the land of the tunnel and the bridge. By the way, here's a piece of information you will never use, but you need to know. The only place in Canada where you have to go north to go to the U.S. is in Windsor. Again, it's not going to change your life, but I just wanted you to know. We were deeply loved, and we loved deeply the people, deeply the people that we had led, and many of the ones that I'd walked through very deep waters with, it was very difficult to say goodbye. We arrived in Alberta, April of 2002, in a new home, in a new city, in a conflicted church, and it was May long weekend, and on that Monday I was off, and I was in my garage unpacking my man cave, because that's what we do. And I was overwhelmed with the loss of moving, and I don't know if it was just hitting me, but I stopped and I flipped over my Home Depot bucket and I just sat there and I wept. I missed everybody. You see, friends, when you change jobs within Grand Prairie, you may just move to a new office or you may just drive to a new site. But when a pastor changes jobs, everything changes. And I had to experience the loss like most men, I did it alone. Friend, can I encourage you to embrace it, to express it, to experience it, and then fourthly, to encourage it. We need to encourage people, not shut them down. I love that Swedish proverb, friendship doubles our joy and divides our grief. Jesus encouraged it. Paul encouraged it. Look at our passage again. The pain cut deep. Then bravely they walked him down to the ship. I picture a group of men, folks, lingering, hanging on like a mom who is at the door saying goodbye to their son or daughter in our case both of them at the same time saying goodbye to college or going to college we just clung on just a little bit having to say goodbye is never easy and seeing people in pain due to a loss in their life is never easy either but it's vital for you and i to come alongside them and as Ros and glenn taught us was we, we come alongside and companion with those who are experiencing deep sorrow. Just before I close, I want to go back to an insightful passage in the book of Job. All of you know that Job had three friends, right? Who came to support him in his need? Look at what it says. What did they do? They cried out in lament. They ripped their robes. They dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of their grief. They entered into his grief, folks. And they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and seven nights they sat there without, a word, without saying a word. For seven days they expressed it by being there. They embraced it by putting dirt on their heads. They experienced it by ripping their clothes. And they encouraged it by just being there with 
Job. And by the way, it was their best work. Why do I say that? Because if you know anything about the story of the book of Job, the minute that they opened their mouths, they started to get in trouble. What a picture of what we should be just doing with people who are grieving. Let's just be quiet and be there. Resist the temptation to say something wrong. Say nothing. Say you're sorry for your loss. Sit and listen and be Jesus with skin on. I call this a ministry of presence, just being there. And during your transition, be in prayer. Be patient and listen. Love one another. Comfort one another. And encourage one another. Because God's gift is grief because it enables you to get through all the transitions in your life. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you for the privilege today of just being here with my new family at Grand Prairie Alliance Church. I feel, Lord, like I'm part of the family as we've journeyed together through this weekend. I pray for those today who may be still in their own lives, grieving a little bit about the past. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help them by your spirit to mourn so that they can be comforted. Lord, if that means they need to sign up for a grief share, Lord, that I, I just pray that you would motivate them and encourage them to do that. I pray, Father, today for those who have experienced deep loss. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be their comforter today. That you would encourage them. That you would throw your loving arms around them and allow them to know in a very practical way that you are close to the brokenhearted. Father, I pray for those today who are walking beside people who are going through a time of loss. May you give them compassion. May you allow them to love and to walk along, to companion with them. And to talk when they want to talk and not talk when they don't want to talk. And just be Jesus with skin on. And Father, we pray that as we look forward to the next stages of our transition process, I pray, God, that you will continue to give the elders and the staff and the teams that we're working with wisdom and insight as we seek to hear from you during this time of leaning in. And Lord, I pray for those that are going to be watching the video this afternoon. I pray, God, that you will just uh, encourage their hearts as they understand that we have heard from your people here. And we are planning on moving forward with many things. So God, I just thank you for, again, the joy of being here this weekend and the privilege of partnering with my brothers and sisters in the ministry here. May you bless them and encourage them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.